Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Amazon. Around 3 million species... 1.6 billion acres, hundreds of indigenous groups, and recently, one Times journalist. I'm Adam, yeah, yeah, I'm a journalist, yeah, journalist at the Times. Thank you for taking me. Chago. Chago. Nice to meet you, Chago. Adam Vaughan is the new environment editor at the Times, and for his first gig, he went to the world's largest rainforest. His mission, to visit Camp 41 and a group of scientists who are delving into an untouched part of the forest in order to solve a mystery that will affect us all. They're on a quest to find out how close are the lungs of the world to collapse. We have the highest biodiversity of anywhere on the planet and every time you mess with the forest, you lose stuff. It's like burning books in a library. We don't even know what the potential value is to humans of given species. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, could Camp 41 help save the Amazon? Well, the one thing overwhelming sort of impression you come away from the Amazon is just the scale of it, right? Obviously, for the most part, you just see it from the ground. At one point, it went above the Amazon, it climbed up this weather tower. And all you could see in all directions was this sort of mosaic of lush rainforest. It might seem like you could never damage enough of it to bring it to an end, but that is not the case. From that bird's eye view, looking out over the lush rainforest, we're swooping you back, over the trees, across an ocean, and back to London, where there's no jungle, but plenty of rain. And it's here in London that I spoke to Adam as he was preparing for his next trip to COP27. Representatives from all over the world are now gathered in Egypt for the UN Climate Change Conference. 
Even the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, who said he wasn't attending, had to do a U-turn. It's in formal meetings like this, in far-off conference centres, that the fate of the Amazon could be decided. For Adam, it's not his first rodeo. He's a cop veteran. So what are they like? They're strange things, cops. I like to describe them as circuses. I seem to be missing the president of Gabon. He's coming. Okay. These crazy carnivals, tens of thousands of people from heads of states, people like Sunak and Emmanuel Macron and and so on. And you're walking down the corridors with someone like the former US Vice President Al Gore walking towards you or Greta Thunberg and other climate activists. Finding holistic solutions is what the COP should be all about. And then you have down the corridor, you might have a bunch of chief executives of major energy companies. It's such a sort of crazy mix mash of people. It's a journalist's dream. (laughs) (laughs) But for them, they're all assembled there. Remind us what's at stake at this particular COP. Well, this is the 27th of these summits since the world decided that it wanted to have some sort of international effort on climate change. What will it achieve? I like to think of the COPs a little bit as like Apple iPhone launches, you get like a big year and then you get the S year where it's like incremental improvements. And this year is an S year in COP land. And what we would expect this year is hopefully some progress on how the world adapts to a warming world. Another thing is putting us back on track for the sort of temperatures we want to land at in the future. L'accord de Paris pour le climat est accepté. 2015 history in Paris. The world commits to holding climate change to two, ideally 1.5 degrees by 2050. And then finally, there's, there's hopefully going to be some progress on this contentious issue of compensation from wealthier countries to poorer ones. That's a really contentious issue and is going to dominate the talks. Will there be a part of the talks that will be dedicated to looking at the problem of deforestation? So deforestation is a really critical importance to meeting the world's climate targets and it will come up. The forestation deal formally announced at this session has been years in the making. We're ending the Great Chainsaw Massacre with more than 85% of the world's forests to be protected by the end of this decade, an unprecedented agreement by 122 countries. It already has come up in Sharm el-Sheikh. Sunak's first chance to talk at the summit was on protecting forests. In Glasgow, more than 140 countries, which are home to over 90% of the world's forests, made a historic promise to halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation. Germany has offered like an extra billion euros over three years which is to tackle deforestation. So yes, it very much is part of the summit. Deforestation hit the headlines again yesterday when Brazil's new president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, spoke at COP27. Known for his environmental policies, he was met with rapturous applause. Lula 
vowed to reverse deforestation in the Amazon and recommitted Brazil to tackling climate change, announcing that Brazil is back. And the crowd agreed. The reason deforestation has climbed the agenda to become an urgent concern is because trees store carbon. That's why the Amazon rainforest has become known as the lungs of the world, because it's vital in regulating the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So if we reach a tipping point where too much of the forest has been damaged, then it could accelerate climate change and make the world a much more difficult place to live. Some of the Earth systems are feared to be approaching tipping points. So this is a point where changes we have triggered through our activities, primarily climate change, will push a natural system to the point where it reaches a state where it just runs away from us. One of the special things about the Amazon is it creates its own weather. It's a sort of cycle where all the water comes off the rainforest, it all sort of evaporates up and it all goes up into the sky and comes back down again as rain. And the fear is that changes that are happening will disrupt that system. So mm. one of those is climate change. The other one is sort of deforestation on the ground. The problem is we don't know how close we are to the tipping point. Working out just how close that tipping point is, how close we are to losing control of the problem, is exactly what the scientists at Camp 41 in the Amazon are trying to do. So let's head back out there with Adam. I landed in a city of two million people, a place called Manaus, which to a certain extent was already a surprise for me because I was, you know, you think of the Amazon and you think of being a completely wild place and then there you are landing in a massive city. And uh, appropriately enough, it was absolutely chucking it down with rain uh, for hours upon hours. almost too wet to go out and then it fortunately cleared up and there was a sort of beautiful promenade along what looks like a beach in Manaus but is actually the edge of the Rio Negro. So this is this is a city basically inside the, the rainforest. Yeah so Manaus is effectively a, a rubber boom town that got rich on rubber trees but it's got a feel for me of a kind of northern England town that has had its heyday once it got a great industrial power now has sort of seen slightly harder times because basically mm. the problem is the rubber boom came to an end when rubber started being grown in Asia instead. And Adam you'd gone out to see specifically a, a British backed scientific project which is trying to work out how much damage has already been done to the rainforest. I mean tell us a bit about it. What exactly are they doing? So there's a bit of a puzzle with what's going on in the Amazon. So climate change is happening because we've got rising levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And that should mean that photosynthesis is increasing the amount of carbon that the rainforest is sucking up. Uh, What's going on is the observations are showing the opposite. It's actually slightly declining. So there's, there's a bit of a mystery there and... That's all currently being looked at in modelling, but what scientists are trying to do is get 
handle on the ground in real large scale environment of the Amazon, which is different to what you can measure in a lab. That's fascinating. And, and they don't know why. There's some theories as to why. A couple of the obvious ones are drought and heat stress. In recent years, we've seen some really serious droughts in South America. So that, that, that appears to be part of it. So the negatives of climate change appear to be outweighing the sort of positives from the tree's point of view. And in order to do these, uh, these observations, I mean, what are they measuring? What are they looking at? There's a team building these towers. In my mind, it's sort of like a birdcage. It's, it's like a, a very tall birdcage. And uh, there's about 70-odd trees or so inside each ring. And they will be, for about a decade, pumping elevated levels of carbon dioxide onto the trees to simulate a climate change future, basically, to see how the trees respond. And on this trip, you were being shown around and shown around the, the project by two main scientists. Just introduce us to them. Tell us a bit about them. I'm sorry, this is a little embarrassing, but something is biting my thigh. That's not good. You don't want something biting your thigh. One of the people who showed me around is a guy called Mario Cohnhaft. Well, you got it? <laughs> I, I didn't, but that's all right. Okay. So I'm Mario Cohnhaft. I'm a staff researcher, ornithologist at the IMPA, a Brazilian National Institute for Research in the Amazon. Great. How old are you? I'm 60 years old. Great. And He's from the States. He came down in the 80s. I got here in 87. So it's been 35 years down here in the Amazon. In fact, I came for what was supposed to be a six-month internship as a research assistant and have been here ever since. Basically ended up falling in love with the place. And he's regularly to be found at a place called Camp 41, this research base just north of Manaus. Camp 41 is what we call the control plot. That is the, the area where you study intact forest to compare it to the little patches of isolated forest Mario is quite a character. He'll talk to you about birds till you're, you know, till, till the end of the day. These are called Red Lord parrots. While you guys are working up the courage to ask questions, I'll just go on about birds meanwhile. The Red Lord parrot. He's quite retro. He's like, he's like playing lots of Motown music when we're at the camp. He's got a quite a sort of school teacher air about him. He really enjoys explaining some of the complexity of how the ecosystem works there to a, a sort of layman. So that's Mario. One of the other pe key people I met was Hita Mesquita. It's written Rita, it's pronounced Hita because she's a Brazilian. I'm Hita Mesquita. I'm a biologist and I have been in the Amazon since 1985. She worked for years in the Brazilian government actually and played a really key role in expanding the number of protected areas of the rainforest and helping indigenous people. She's now working at this research institute called IMPA that has its headquarters in Manaus. I came here to study birds and then I became more and more interested in the secondary forests. Secondary forest is the regrowth, basically the Amazon forest trying to regenerate itself back into some kind of forest. She's just one of those people who just seems to know everyone, <laughs> um, no matter where you go. And accompanied by these scientists, you actually went 
right into the forest. You went to Camp 41, which, is this right? Is it really known as Camp 41 because it's 41 kilometres away from the nearest paved road? I, I really liked the name of it. It sounded really mysterious. I was kind of slightly disappointed to hear that it was <laughs> just named after how far it was from the road. But that's an alarming distance too. I mean, how do you how do you get to the camp? With some difficulty and some car sickness, if you uh, if you get that way, you go down a you know relatively normal two lane road, and then you just turn off into a parting in the in the trees. It took absolutely hours to get there in these four by four vehicles. The guys who were driving us had to regularly get out with chainsaws and machetes to clear the path yeah to clear the way this was um this not 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 deforesting stuff yeah (laughs) eventually you get to this little bridge which takes you down a footpath to the camp This is the walk to Camp 41. It really does sound like you are in the thick of it there. And, and uh, along the way, I mean, were you seeing any signs of how the Amazon is already being affected? So this is a relatively unscathed part of the forest. However, there were bits that had been deforested. We were given a bit of a tour of some of those areas with Mario sort of pointing out how the last howler monkeys in this deforested area had clung on for years after most life had fled the area and that they finally even gave up as well. Also talking us through this thing called the edge effect. As soon as you get an edge to the forest, you then have got more sun coming in and then it gradually dries out and then the edge keeps moving in. When we started the experiment, we were after the question, what would be the minimum size of a protected area to uh, maintain the integrity of an Amazonian forest? And we started with very small sizes, like one hectare, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000. Now we know not even 10,000 is big enough. You still see the effects of uh, the fragmentation within these areas. The rainforest is really reliant on being this, like, one big contiguous block. When you finally got to the camp, you know, when you've made your way down these bumpy, would-be roads, what is the camp like and what actually happens there? The walk down into the camp from the cars was interesting because it was the first point we were, like, in the forest proper. Camp 41 represents a typical central Amazonian rainforest in perfectly intact condition, never been cut down, no signs of previous occupation. The overall canopy is probably 25 meters, and then there are trees that stick up beyond that, up to 40, 50, even 60 meter high trees. And so it's a complex looking forest. You'll see that we uh, don't get a lot of light in the understory, so it's dark. But it's not this dense, morass of vines that you have to kind of cut through. It's actually easy to walk even off the trail because it's dark. I guess I was expecting it to be more exotic. It was almost more like a sort of British wood, but with some slightly unusual species. You walk down this path, it's only about 10 or 15 minutes, and then it suddenly you get your kind of like wow moment of it sort of opening up to a clearing, and in the clearing is the camp. 
And that field work, you know, what is it that the scientists are doing in the camp? They've used that bit of the rainforest as a sort of scientific control of intact rainforest to compare how it looks, what sort of species are there, how are the trees doing compared to other bits of rainforest that have been disturbed. So that's historically been what a lot of what they've done there. When I was there, they're doing this fertilization project. Basically, they are looking at, okay, the soil is really poor here, but what happens if we add nutrients to it? What happens if we add nitrogen and phosphorus and various other things? And then seeing how the trees grew after that and seeing how species, including particularly spiders, responded. Coming up, Adam has to don shin pads to ward off some of the local wildlife. Hello, welcome to Off Air with Jane and Fee. I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. And this is the new and exclusive home of our joint podcasting exploits. Aren't we grand? (laughs) Every Monday to Thursday evening, we talk all things fact, fun, nonsense, utter gibberish, you name it, we talk about it. We also find ourselves joined by the great and the good. That makes it sound accidental, doesn't it? (laughs) So join us for Off Air with Jane and Fee. Monday to Thursday on the Free Times radio app and wherever else you get your podcasts. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Back in the rainforest, the scientists are looking at spiders. They want to know how they and the trees will respond to richer soils. So they're fertilising the soil and monitoring the results. Adam joined them on an impromptu spider hunt. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But first, he and Mario, who loves to talk about birds, went for a little wonder. But I'm just going to shout. And that usually gets them going. 
I was lucky enough to accompany Mario for a walk near the camp. And I think I had a sort of slightly Disneyfied version of, of the Amazon in my head. I sort of imagining monkeys crashing through the canopy and lots of life all around you. But it, the reality is you hear is it, it mostly. It's not like that. It's not like that. You can see lots of little things, really cool like millipedes and caterpillars. And if you get like down near the floor, you know, bullet ants and things like that. But no, you don't see a lot on the whole. But you, what you do do is hear a lot. It's evident that there is life all around you and a lot of it is birds. We saw macaws flying around. We also heard a screaming piha. So the screaming piha is about the size of an American robin. It's all gray. Males and females look identical. It was, until very recently, the world's loudest bird. Unfortunately, it lost its crown a couple of years ago. And the song is delivered by opening their very wide mouths. And that loudest part of the song that almost sounds like a whiplash, that actually throws their heads back. It looks like the recoil of a cannon. You see this bill open up and the head goes As you said, there's an awful lot of creepy crawlies too. Is it true that you went on a nighttime spider trip? Because that, that sounds like my idea of hell, but <laughs> what was that like? We had some dinner and then I just saw these six people putting on head torches over to the side and I was like, well, that looks, what are they up to? So I sort of dropped everything and... I don't actually speak any Portuguese, but we just sort of bumbled through on Pigeon English that I could come along and join their field trip that night. So what was your name? Thiago. Thiago. Well, nice to meet you, Thiago. You are? Adam. I'm Adam. Thank you for taking me. I figured if you were going to go and see things, I wanted to see too. And this was the team of people who were looking at spiders and tree growth. We were about to walk out of the camp and then one of them was like, oh, hang on, we've forgotten something. And then they came back and gave me a pair of shin guards. and uh, those, Shin guards? Yeah, there's two venomous species of snake that they <laughs> spotted around the camp. I mean, that should be your cue to say, actually, I, I'm probably all right. I'm, I might stay here after all. It should have been, really, shouldn't it? Are snakes an issue? Should, we be, should I be concerned? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. At first I was reassured and then I, and then I said, well, where should I really? be looking? Because, you know, I don't know this place. And um, they said, oh, yeah, they can be in the trees as well. Are they all brown snakes? No. In the trees? Yeah. One meter. So look up as well as down, yeah? Yeah. Okay. These are poisonous. Yeah. I'm not sure how good shin guards is from a, a snake in a tree, but... I mean, that sounds terrifying. And that's at night where you can't even see them if they're coming at you. And did you did you get many spiders? Yeah, they, they got some amazing spiders. Most of the ones they were collecting were sort of like the size of your fingernail. But the ecologists were very generous in indulging me and pointing out particularly interesting examples. There was one that looked a bit like the one in... Um, Harry Potter, I've forgotten the name of it, the one that lives in the forest, because absolutely massive. Um, some point, one of them came over very excited and said, look on the underside of this leaf. There was a sort of yellow mess on the leaf. I was like, I don't understand what it is. And um, they explained it was a, a fungus that had 
taken over the spider, controlled it, made it go to that place and then killed it. It's a zombie spider. You might have heard of like zombie ants before. I hadn't actually heard of zombie spiders before. There was a woman there who was um, studying fungus and she thought it might be a new one. So they were very excited about that. And that went, that went straight in the bottle for study. Not just terrifying insects, but sort of even the fungus. Yeah. Was quite <laughs> it was one of those things where dangerous. Like, seeing like those little details being in the dark where your sort of senses were quite heightened and you're, you're away from, you know, the stimulation of phones you got a sense of the richness of the ecosystem there and sort of how dependent all the species are upon one another. Having seen what it's like inside the Amazon now, what did you think in terms of whether or not it's reached a tipping point? I think what the scientists I'm speaking to are saying is that, you know, that is not the case. You know, the, the, this is despite its huge size, a vulnerable ecosystem. The truth is we don't know how close it is to a tipping point. You know, there is a part of the rainforest further south, which is known as the sort of arc of deforestation, where primarily cattle ranching is really, really driving the destruction there. The other thing you get from going there is a little bit of a better understanding of the human motivations at play that are causing people to to clear rainforests because... There's not a lot of economic opportunities out there. And unless you give people an alternative to clearing a rainforest for cattle ranch, then you could see why they might do that. So the thing I came away thinking was is it's probably more vulnerable than I thought before I went. Adam, we started off talking about, you know, those corridors of power at COP. It feels a long way away from being right in the thick of the rainforest, surrounded by exotic insects and uh, even more exotic fungus. But (laughs) ultimately, the future of the Amazon will probably be decided by politics. And while you were there, you know, it was the run-up to the Brazilian election. How much of a difference was that expected to make? And, And what were people on the ground, the people you were talking to, what were they saying about it? I spoke to a few people on the streets in in Manaus and a thing I was surprised by a little bit was how sceptical some of them were that even with a change of government, even if Lula did beat Bolsonaro, which as we now know he did, it wouldn't necessarily change things. Lula da Silva was serving nearly two years in prison for corruption, but his conviction was annulled and the left-winger is leader of Brazil again after very narrowly beating President Bolsonaro. And I guess that surprised me because when Lula was last in power, deforestation did gradually come down and under Bolsonaro obviously it has soared. But what's going to be key now is about just how long it takes Lula to turn things around. I spoke as well to people at various federal environment agencies who are sort of talking anonymously and they've lost the ability under Bolsonaro to go after illegal activity and the people behind the organised crime behind it. So I think the hope from them is that Lula really does offer a lifeline for the forest and that they can get on and start doing their jobs again. When I look at Bolsonaro, I look at a president that has this agenda of the agribusiness and mining and a relative lack of consideration for the traditional peoples of the Amazon. Okay. When I look at Lula, 
the other side. It's like I see commitments to recognizing indigenous rights and I see commitments to search for a better model of use of this forest. And just finally, do you think anything that happens at COP could make a difference to the future of the Amazon? What they decide clearly will make a difference to the fate of the Amazon because if we don't get a handle on climate change, then the Amazon has no future. We are very good at making plans, but then what? We take years to negotiate and blah, 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 and then we don't implement our plans. So I don't want to see one more plan because we don't have the time. The Amazon doesn't have the time. This is not the right approach to this challenge. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Adam Vaughan, The Times Environment Editor. You can find all of Adam's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer was Olivia Case. The executive producers today are James Shield and Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.